Hello and welcome to the Folklore Podcast. I'm Mark Norman, folklore researcher and author. We've had some great guests on the podcast over the last few months, and some more great ones coming up, but it's been quite a long time since I've presented a whole episode myself. As the podcast has grown, there's been more and more to do to keep things running, liaising with guests, launching the book club, running the Patreon, and so on. This cuts down a lot on the available time to write a lot of episodes to present as individual studies. As more and more people have joined the Patreon, it has allowed for more extra content to be generated to reward their support, and if more people join, then that will be able to expand to allow for more writing time more generally too. Support that way really is vital. The podcast is a full-time job run on part-time hours. But the more Patreon support grows, the more hours can be devoted to it. So thank you to everyone who does support us in that way. www.patreon.com slash thefolklorepodcast if you want to help too. Or you can always hit the donate link on the main podcast homepage to make a one-off contribution. Now today's episode is written by myself and Tracy and has been adapted from a four-part newspaper feature which we wrote a little while ago. It discusses a long-standing legend of a death omen from our area of the country. We're all familiar with Conan Doyle's fictional Baskerville family, who were plagued by the apparition of a ghostly hound. The beast's first appearance is documented in the ancient tract, which Dr Mortimer reads to Sherlock Holmes during his consultation. Now, perhaps Conan Doyle was inspired by the story of the white bird of the Oxenham family. The phenomenon dates back to the early years of the 17th century, being mentioned in 1618, 1635 and then 1645, when it appeared in Magna Britannica by Daniel and Samuel Lysons. It is an intriguing tale of an omen of death which was attached to the family and followed its members around Devon. It's believed that a white or white-breasted bird sometimes appears to members of the Oxenham family shortly before their death. It has been variously described as a dove, a thrush or a ring oozel. The family were from South Zeal, although some stories link them to Zeal Monocorum, including that of John Oxenham, who died in 1635 after being visited by the white bird. Other stories are earlier still. The 1618 example tells of John's own grandmother Grace seeing the bird above her sickbed. However, this does not appear to have been documented, so we'll begin our exploration with John and his family. John was in his early 20s, extremely tall, around 6 foot 6, and very pious, a quality often linked to the Oxenhams. John fell ill, and two days before his death, there appeared the likeness of a bird with a white breast hovering over him, explains Richard W. Cotton in his 1882 study of the phenomenon. It's interesting that he uses the term likeness. There's nothing to suggest that the white bird was real, In fact, Cotton quotes the Reverend Walter Greger, writing for the Folklore Society in 1881, who points out that many members of the Oxenham family 
regarded the bird as being beneficent rather than a threat. Although it was a harbinger of death, it was also interpreted as a message that they would be received into heaven, there to enjoy eternal happiness. Yet Mrs Bray, writing in Traditions etc. of Devon, 1838, employs negative imagery and similes in her description. She writes of the bird as fatal to that house, and raising a cry of augury and evil, vanishing as soon as its task is done. She uses female pronouns to describe the bird. The story was sufficiently curious to inspire a 20-page tract to be published in 1641, and it seems to be this document on which the licence based the description in the Magna Britannica. Sadly, the document is anonymous, but two copies remain, one in the British Museum and the other in the Bodleian Library. Briefly, the details in the tract are given as follows. At the time of his death, John Oxenham appears to have been in the company of two men, Robert Woodley and Humphrey King, who were later questioned by the parish minister as to what had occurred. Mention is made of their good standing and honesty, no doubt to lend weight and substance to their testimony. Shortly after John's death, his sister-in-law Thomasine, wife of his younger brother James, also saw a white bird hovering above her as she lay ill. She is described as a pious, amiable woman who was charitable and well-liked by her neighbours. Again, there were two witnesses, Elizabeth Frost and Joan Tooker, whose many virtues were emphasised and who were questioned about the appearance of the bird by the minister. Next to succumb was Thomasine's eight-year-old sister Rebecca, a gentle, docile, courteous child, who died peacefully after seeing the bird hovering over her. This time, the witnesses were Mary Stevens and Elizabeth Avery, who also witnessed the death of James and Thomasine's baby daughter, named Thomasine after her mother, who died a few days afterwards. The death of baby Thomasine is interesting, as the child was described as being in a cradle, and was thus unlikely to be able to verbalise what she could see. It's easy to imagine the adults and young Rebecca describing the bird as it hovered above their beds, with those present later testifying to what was said. But what about baby Thomasine? Were the ladies fabricating the story, and if so, why? Were they themselves also able to see the bird? This seems to be the implication, hence the involvement of the minister. Did people perhaps believe that they were seeing an incarnation of the Holy Spirit? Sadly, the descriptions given by the witnesses are not mentioned, so we do not know if they likened it to a dove. The tract's lengthy title mentions a white-breasted bird. However, the tract implies that whatever they saw, all of the witnesses gave consistent descriptions, suggesting that they all saw the same thing at different times on different days, and in connection with different members of the Oxenham family. Four other family members were ill at this time, but none of them saw the apparition of the white bird, and all of them subsequently recovered. This document appears to be the source of the 1618 appearance of the bird, 
which contemporaneous local writers such as Thomas Westcote had not mentioned in their works. This suggests that the story really only gained traction as a local legend after the deaths of John, Rebecca and the two Thomasines. In fact, Cotton goes so far as to state that had the story been widely known while Westcott was writing View of Devonshire in 1630, it would scarcely have escaped so inveterate a gossip. There are a number of families in Britain who claim a legend of a fetch, an apparition which appears to foretell a death. These apparitions may be said to appear in many different forms, but they're often the images of animals such as hares or foxes. Black dogs, a topic that I've written on previously, are very common in this role. Catherine Crow, in her 1848 book The Night Side of Nature, describes an example from Cornwall. A family in Cornwall who are also warned on an approaching death by the apparition of a black dog, and a very curious example is quoted in which a lady, newly married into the family, and knowing nothing of the tradition, came down from the nursery to request her husband would go up and drive away a black dog that was lying on the child's bed. He went up and found the child dead. The Oxenham family is a very old one in Devon, and probably first settled in South Taunton, where a large estate was established. Historic England has a listing for Oxenham Manor, and we find the pub in the village named the Oxenham Arms. As we learned earlier, the apparitions of the white bird have been said to have appeared to the branch of the Oxenham family who settled at Zeal Monocorum, a village about seven miles distant of South Taunton, and the same from the town of Crediton. Zeal was originally written as Sail, Seal or Zeal, and the village name means Cell of the Monks. This does not relate to a cell in the prison sense, however, rather that the manor here was given to Buckfast Abbey in 1018 by King Knut, hence the village becoming a cell. But other sources place them at South Zeal, which is in the area of South Taunton. Now there's a lot of confusion here, which is very hard to unpick. The registers of Zeal Monocorum do not contain any entries for Oxenham family members. The South Taunton registers do have John and James Oxenham, but no record of the baptisms or burials of Thomasine or Rebecca. There is also no trace of James, the younger, in the registers either. The appearances of the white bird connected with the deaths of John Oxenham and some of his children obviously had quite an effect on the members of the family who survived, because they took the decision to record them on a monument, which, with the approval of the bishop, was to be placed in the church, at least according to the contemporary tract on the subject. The work was said to have been undertaken by a tomb maker in Fleet Street named Edward Marshall. But did any of this take place either? In 1645, a clerk to the Privy Council in London named James Howell published the book Familiar Letters, which detailed his travels around Europe. In this book, Howell tells how he visited the Fleet Street shop to arrange a tombstone for his father, and whilst there, how he saw a large marble. He wrote the inscription down from memory in the letter. Here lies John Oxenham, a goodly young man, in whose chamber 
as he was struggling with the pangs of death, a bird with a white breast was seen fluttering about his bed, and so vanished. Here lies also Mary Oxenham, the sister of the said John, who died the next day, and the same apparition was seen in the room. Here lies hard by James Oxenham, the son of the said John, who died a child in his cradle a little after, and such a bird was seen fluttering about his head a little before he expired, which vanished afterwards. Here lies Elizabeth Oxenham, the mother of the said John, who died sixteen years since, when such a bird with a white breast was seen about her bed before her death. The names and circumstances in this letter vary from the details recorded in the original tract. So does this mean that the letter is apocryphal? Howell does state that he's recording these details from memory. Maybe memory failed him fairly significantly. Some critics have wholly dismissed this letter because of the variance in details with the people. The marble, according to Howell's letter, also contained a whole list of names of worthy people who had borne witness to these events, squires and ladies of the area. Many, if not all, of Howell's letters were written while he was in prison, and were invented letters. That is, they were not designed to be sent to the person to whom they were addressed in their openings, but were just written to record interesting events. The dates on the letters, which do not tally correctly with the Oxenham events, were most likely also invented. It is probable that Howell never saw the monument, but rather said that he had in order to make for an interesting piece of writing. There is no doubt that the story of the marble monument is a curious one, as if it existed, it never reached the church for which it was intended. The witnesses described as being named on the monument don't seem to be real people. There's no local evidence for them. It was, however, a common practice for the authors of ballads and chapbooks to invent witnesses to give their stories veracity. In 1791, a collection of writings of Sir William Pole was published. The book was aiming to be a survey of the county of Devon. Pole had died in 1635 and had referred in his work to Oxenham, the land of William Oxenham. That was his only entry on the family, and he had certainly made no mention of the bird. Pole's son, Sir John, who could easily have read the tract or Howell's letters, extended the entry later to read. Oxenham, the land of William Oxenham, the father of John, the grandfather of Will, father of another John, grandfather of James, whose tombstone respects a strange wonder of this family, that at their deaths were still seen a bird with a white breast, which fluttering for a while about their beds, suddenly vanish away. So, was the story of the white bird of the Oxnams without any substance? The famous Devon survey writer Tristram Risden lived near South Taunton and knew nothing of it. Did the whole legend develop from the original tract? Although this tombstone is mentioned in the writings of Sir William Pole, who died in 1635, it has proven impossible to trace what must have been a sizeable piece of marble. The manner in which it is mentioned in Pole's collections, published in 1791, 
suggests that it had actually been erected, although it is also entirely possible that Pole was simply reading the printed tract detailing the story. It is interesting that no trace of this imposing memorial has ever been found in Devon, despite numerous inquiries over the years. Richard W. Cotton, writing about the phenomenon in 1882, reasonably points out that if it were to be found anywhere, the two most likely places would be Zeal Monocorum or South Taunton, but there are no records to suggest that either of these parishes ever housed the memorial. Cotton muses at length about the damage done during church restorations, but does note that the memorial was already missing, if indeed it ever existed, long before restoration of churches became a regular occurrence. South Taunton's church underwent a period of restoration in 1881, retaining its early 17th century floor stones. The vicar, to whom Cotton appears to have spoken in person, gave assurances that no trace of the Oxenham marble had been discovered during the works. In addition, although some memorials were undoubtedly removed or destroyed during restorations, it seems odd that such a fate would befall the Oxenham marble. Regardless of which parish it might have ended up in, there was sufficient local interest of an extremely unusual nature to make its destruction or removal unlikely. Goff, writing addenda to Camden's Britannica, suggests that the marble never reached Devon in the first place. Something may have occurred during the Civil War which prevented its transportation, or perhaps it was lost in the Great Fire of 1666. To this day, the stonemason's records no longer being in existence, Howell appears to be the only person to record that he physically laid eyes on the memorial and we've already seen that the inconsistencies in his account make him an unreliable witness. Unreliable or not, however, Howell's account stirred up a great deal of interest in the topic. Learned antiquary Dr Plot was fascinated by it, featuring it prominently in his exploration of England's curiosities. It features in Prince's Worthies of Devon, and from there was picked up by many other writers and circulated still more widely. Howell's Familiar Letters was reprinted in numerous editions between 1645 and 1754, and as a result the story became well known, firming up over the years into a classic example of a folk legend. The Oxenham family members themselves were not immune to this publicity and dissemination of their family history, and it is unsurprising to learn that in 1743 the white bird made another appearance, having apparently been dormant in the intervening years. It was reported in Magna Britannica Volume 6 that William Oxenham had died after a short illness, having seen the bird enter his room. However, Oxenham, whilst apparently accepting of the omen, stated that he was not yet ill enough to die and would cheat the bird. This happened a couple of days before he succumbed to his ailment and was reported to topographer William Chapel, the reviewer of Risdon's printed Survey of Devon. The report was made by a Dr Bent, Mr Oxenham's brother-in-law, who had attended him in his capacity as a physician. Although this does sound rather like the tall tales we hear today, which always happen to the friend of a friend, 
South Taunton Church contains a mural memorial in its south aisle which commemorates William Oxenham, who died much lamented by his friends on the 10th of October 1743, aged 65. It is likely that William was living in Oxenham House at the time of his death. Interestingly, William's death was referred to over a century later, in the April 1862 edition of Gentleman's Magazine. A well-known Tynemouth antiquary, William Sidney Gibson, quoted from a letter regarding Oxenham's death. Some of the information was reported to have been provided or confirmed by Mrs Oxenham herself. The writer is believed to be J. Short of Middle Temple, writing to George Nares Jr. at Albury in December 1741. The letter was discovered in a book belonging to the principal of Jesus College. The bird was first seen outside William's bedroom window, and later Mrs Oxenham observed it in the room with them. She mentioned this to her husband and asked him whether he knew what bird it was. He replied that he did. It has been upon my face and head, and is recorded in history as always appearing to our family before their deaths. But I shall cheat the bird. It appears that neither he nor his wife took any further notice of the bird after this exchange, and within a day or two William had succumbed to his illness. The writer noted that Mrs Oxenham only spoke of the phenomenon when specifically asked about it, and that the bird was seen by several sadly unidentified people at the same time, placing it firmly in the realm of the unexplained rather than a figment of the imagination. Gibson suggests that the informant in the letter, a Dr Bertie, is in fact Dr Bent, William's brother-in-law. However, Cotton disputes this, postulating that it was the Honourable Charles Bertie LLD, who was at the time the rector of Ken in Devon. His father was the Earl of Abingdon, and his sister Anne married into the Courtney family of Powderham. The letter actually notes that Dr Bertie gave his account to the Earl of Abingdon, adding substance to Cotton's claim. It is likely that Mrs Oxenham, whose father William Long lived in the nearby parish of Mam Head, was known to the Courtneys and to Dr Bertie, perhaps even relating the story of her husband's death to them in person. Dr Bertie and Dr Bent, who had a practice in Crediton, were both intelligent men whose accounts of William Oxenham's death are consistent with each other. Regardless of what they believed of this strange tale, they both reported it as they heard it, their respective statuses no doubt adding a further layer of credibility to an already credible story. Following these events, there was another appearance to an immediate relative not long afterwards. This sighting was to the eldest brother of Mrs E. Weston, William's daughter, and was recorded in the Gentleman's Magazine in 1794. Details are scant, but further cases followed with varying degrees of information and veracity attached to them. Of course, all of the cases which we've been examining happened a long time ago in more superstitious times. Many such stories exist, of mermaids or ghosts, devils or fairies, and they were all believed where today most would not be. It is interesting to note, therefore, that the story of the white bird of the Oxenhams does not end as the 18th century moved into the 19th, but continues to be recorded much later, 
at a time where more enlightened thinking would, one would have expected, have made it far less likely. What makes this particular story interesting is that at the time it was recorded, the witness was still living and was able to confirm the details, backed up by an also-living member of the Oxenham family with the authority to do so. While this is no guarantee of accuracy, or indeed truth, it does at least make the details more credible than in the early tales where there is little or no evidence, such as with the elusive giant marble monument connected with Zeal Monocorum. This account was published in an 1875 book written by the Reverend Frederick George Lee, called Glimpses of the Supernatural. Writing about ghosts seemed to be a popular pastime for the clergy around this time. The story was told by the Reverend Henry Nutcombe Oxenham, another man of the cloth, who was at the time the head of the family. The entry in this book was a little brief, but in 1882 an article was written by Richard W. Cotton which included a much more detailed account, given in his own words by the Reverend Henry. Shortly before the death of my late uncle, G. N. Oxenham, who was then the head of the family, this occurred. His only surviving daughter, now Mrs. Thomas Peter, but then unmarried and living at home, and a friend of my aunt's, Miss Roberts, who happened to be staying in the house but was no relation and had never heard of the family tradition, were sitting in the dining room, immediately under his bedroom, about a week before his death, which took place on the 15th of December, 1873, when their attention was roused by a shouting outside the window. On looking out, they observed a white bird, which might have been a pigeon, but if so, was an unusually large one, perched on the thorn tree outside the windows, and it remained there for several minutes, in spite of some workmen on the opposite side of the road throwing their hats at it in the vain attempt to drive it away. Miss Roberts mentioned this to my aunt at the time, though not of course attaching any special significance to it, and my aunt, since deceased, repeated it to me soon after my uncle's death. Neither did my cousin, though aware of the family tradition, think of it at the time. Miss Roberts we have lost sight of for some years, and do not even know if she is still living. But Mrs Thomas Peter confirms in every particular the accuracy of this statement. Of the fact, therefore, there can be no reasonable doubt, whatever interpretation may be put upon it. My cousin also mentioned another circumstance which either I did not hear of or had forgotten, viz that my late aunt spoke at the time of frequently hearing a sound like the fluttering of a bird's wings in my uncle's bedroom, and said that the nurse testified to hearing it also. Now, whilst this is not a particularly remarkable story in its own right, it becomes far more interesting when taken in the context of the legend as a whole. There was a tradition within the Oxenham family itself, at least orally if not recorded, that the apparition of the bird was connected with the head of the family rather than the whole family as a fetch or omen. But the bird certainly didn't seem to appear to all of the heads. The Reverend William, who died in 1844, did not see it, and neither did either of the younger brothers of G. N. Oxenham. An interesting record exists concerning Richard Oxenham, who died on the 23rd of August 1844 at his home in Penzance. 
There does not seem to be an appearance of the bird connected with him, but he was a bachelor and lived alone. The only person with him when he passed away was his sister, Mrs Oddy, so she would have been the only witness able to report anything had it happened, and she did not. We do not know, however, whether she was necessarily aware of the legend, just because she was a member of the family. But there is an interesting event relating to her death in 1861. A relative of the family told that Mrs Oddy's daughter had spoken of the fact that on the night before Mrs Oddy died, birds were flapping and hopping on the windowsill outside her bedroom window. A curious coincidence. Belief that birds hovering around a house, resting on a windowsill or tapping on the glass is a portent of death, was found in many places, including in Devon. Now, as I noted earlier, many families have some kind of animal apparition attached to them, which works in this way, and the Oxenhams are not alone in having a bird. The Arundel family of Wardour Castle, for example, had a pair of owls who appeared on the battlements as a portent. So, what is the truth behind the legend of the white bird of the Oxenhams? Well, the simple answer to that is that we do not, and cannot, know for certain. A rational explanation was proposed by Mr W. Burt in his notes which accompanied Dartmoor A Descriptive Poem by Nicholas Toms Carrington. He states his belief that the bird was a ring oozel, the only white-breasted bird native to the area. The accidental appearance of this bird at Oxenham, attracted thither by the light in the sick chamber, or by some other cause, may have given rise to the tradition and the more particularly as the moor is close to South Taunton, and the Ring Oozel frequents that part of it. There is no other rational mode of accounting for such a singular circumstance. This happening in one instance was extended, by superstition, to other cases of death in the same family. This explanation seems somewhat unlikely, however. The ring oozel isn't known to be attracted by light, and is more known to try and avoid human contact. Also, the accounts tend to refer to a white bird, which would have been more likely to have been noted as a white-breasted bird, if that was what was actually seen. It's also worth noting that Carrington's Dartmoor was published in 1826, and so it predates the later reports and sightings of the bird. The case of the white bird of the Oxenhams certainly has both history and mystery ascribed to it. Histories exist around the better recorded and less superstitious sightings of the late 19th century. Mysteries surround the early sightings in the 1600s, the elusive marble monument, and aside from everything else, why a legend which actually has relatively few accounts for a time span of 300 years perpetuated for as long as it did. What actually took place is open to debate. It seems plausible to suggest that the six early sightings were genuine, and in a period where beliefs in witchcraft and the like were at their height, were easily taken to be more full of superstition than they actually were. This probably led to later stories, some fabrications, some misreporting and speculation, all adding to the canon, until it became impossible to separate truth from fiction, and thus 
a legend was born. Thanks for listening. See you next time.